Hello everyone, welcome to the Speak Up podcast. My name is Noor Isa. I am Bella Barber. And today our topic is adjusting to new norms. Our two guests are going to be Gail Rivera and Megan Moeller. Now, it's important to remember that this podcast is brought to you by the Speak Club, the communications club here at GGC. Make sure to check out our Instagram and the follow-up podcast coming after the Speak Up the speak out where we will be having a panel of students who will be talking about their personal experiences with our topic our instagram is jcc underscore speak so make sure to follow up with us there please enjoy we have miss gail rivera here a success advisor at jcc miss rivera would you like to tell us a bit about yourself Absolutely. First, I want to say thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I am a success advisor here at JCC. I'm also part of the counseling team, as well as the NSLS advisor for our chapter here at Johnston Community College. Can you tell us a bit about the NASL? I'm sorry. Absolutely. It's NSLS, and it's the National Society of Leadership and Success. So our chapter has been here since 2013 so we're coming up on 10 years next year really excited about it and so far we have inducted 986 members so we're aiming for a thousand all right and uh, we are the largest leadership uh, organization on campus that's incredible so i wanted to get into the first question when students are adapting to college life, they're often met with more responsibilities, but also more personal freedom. Some can adjust well to this, while others not so much. So what would you provide to students, advice, resources, anything like that, as they make this adjustment? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, One thing that I would say about adaptability is the most important thing is going to be mindset. So adapting to any kind of change, um, you have to get rid of some of the old norms that you have and just look forward to the new norms that are about to take place in your life. So coming from high school Mm -hmm. and now you're transitioning to being a college student, you have to change the way you look at it. So um, I like to use assimilation and accommodation as kind of means here and then we're going to find adaptability in the middle right so just stay with me for a minute okay i'm gonna take you on a ride all right (laughs) so basically assimilation is that process of taking and getting a full understanding of the new norm college life right and then you have accommodation where this is where you're just going to be kind of modifying your existing ideas so one good example is time management so when you're in high school, you know, your mom maybe sets your alarm clock, you know, come and shake you, wake you up. Now you're in college. You don't have that, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to definitely assimilate. You want to get that schedule down packed. You want to get that information about how JCC works, how, what time your classes are going to start, and things like that. And then you want to do those accommodations and modify it so you can be successful. Now, modification means that you might set an alarm. You might um, have a friend um, come by and pick you up at a certain time. You might make those adjustments to make this successful. If you do those two things, what's going to happen is going to be stability. You're going to have that balance in the middle, which is adaptability or adjustment. 
So that's the key to it. It's just like your mindset, just changing how you think about it. It's not so scary all the time. It's just the way we approach it and the way we think about it. So we change all the time, right? Every day, everything is changing around us and we don't think about it. But when it comes to college and classes, we think about it's this high task that we have. But if you change how you think about it, you will adjust better with it. One more thing I'm going to add about that is adjusting your mindset to think about adjustment and adaptability as a strength instead of a weakness. So whenever we do this, and now we're thinking about it as a strength, so now we have more flexibility, you know, how we're going to think about things, you know, it's, it's a positive instead of a negative. Now, Ms. Rivera, I personally have a bit of trouble with change. What are some tips you could give me? Like, oh, these are some things you can do to better adjust to this change. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, mindset, change happens every day. It's happening right now because we live in a world that doesn't stay still, right? Uh-huh. So change how you think about it. But these are some things you can do. Being more flexible um, with your circumstances. And what I mean by that, class got canceled. Mm-hmm. No, nothing we could do about it, right? There's no need to get upset about it. Be more flexible with understanding that this happens in life. It will bring you less stress. It would just help you out tremendously if you can just think about being flexible with the changes that happen every day. Okay, just be more flexible. Another thing is rising to new challenges. So you're in college now, and APA and MLA is a way of life. Right? That's true. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so rise to that challenge. Do the work. Study. Know what it's about. And in that way, that change won't just bog you down with, oh, my goodness, it's MLA and APA. I want to hear it again. Right? You can apply that to any situation. Right? You just got to rise to the circumstances, to the changes. And another thing is change your actions to reflect teamwork. And when I say that, I want you to include your instructors involved in this too, okay? We have one common goal, okay, whether it's your instructor or yourself. One of those goals is to successfully get you a degree and to have you graduate from JCC. Mm -hmm. Or whatever goal you have set, our job is to help you meet that goal, right? Right. So we're a team. Instead Instead of a divide, look at it as a team. So adjust the way you look at it. As, look at it as teamwork instead of just individuals. She's my instructor. He's my instructor. I'm the student. Well, well you know, whatever you want to do, don't look at it like that. Look at it as we're a team. And when we work together as a team, then we can accomplish anything. So those challenges aren't so bad now, right? That adjustment isn't so bad. You don't you don't have to adjust to this new, this new instructor and the way she do things, the way he does things. You look at it, how can I help him or her help me, Right? I look at it, I'm very biased sometimes. Sometimes students come in to me to be advised and they say, oh, I'm going to go to school to be an orthodontist. And I say, oh, I got to get her through because I'm going to need dentures later, you know, and I need somebody to, to help me out, right? So I'm biased in the way I look at it. And it's okay for you guys to be that way too. You have an instructor, you want to be like, how can I help them help me? So it's all about mindset and how we look at things. All right, thank you. That, that really helped me. Would you agree that when adapting, it's about assessing the problem in front of you while knowing yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. I love that. I love how you brought the self component in there, okay? Because we're actually going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Whenever you're assessing a situation, you do want to look at it, how it affects you, because 
and changing adaptability adaptability i'm sorry is going to look different from you from what you see and what you see and what i see okay it's more, it's more personal so you definitely have to look at it from that aspect absolutely now how has the pandemic affected this and i know it, the pandemic has been coming to an end people don't really want to talk about it anymore but how has it affected this change in flexibility for students? Absolutely. That's a great question. And people don't want to talk about it because we don't want it to come back. Okay. We feel like if we don't talk about it, it'll stay dormant, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a good way of thinking. Um, adjustment has really, the pandemic has a really, played a really big role in adjustment because we had, had to go to online classes, you know, online learning. And that played a, a part in how people approached it. Some people weren't very good with online classes. So I was one of them. You was one of them. Yeah. A lot of people weren't, uh, myself included. When we first went into the pandemic, I was still in undergrad. So I had to adjust just like you guys did. My, I had a lot of things that I had to get used to. Technology was one, you know, just not having what I needed. It was a lot of adjustments. This played a part in just people not feeling like they um, – belonged or was a part of the a part of the adjustment process almost what i mean by that is like they didn't consult me before they did it kind of sort of do you understand uh, what i'm saying yeah, so we had a lot of we had a lot of people that had the mindset that they felt like they were left out and didn't feel like they was a part of it but in the end um i think colleges and universities did the best they could to adjust to making sure you was receiving education by all means necessary so it really would have been an argument if we would have said no you don't have school so it was it was the best of the two norms so you know COVID did play a role in it but I think we adjusted um, well to it all right as we go into this when we talk about college life as well as COVID a lot of it talks about how our emotions change we deal with these adaptations and it's really hard for some people to handle it emotionally what are some healthy coping mechanisms that can be used to manage this? That's a great one. I love that one because, you know, I said previously that I was on a counseling team. So this is right where my heart is. So with college, <laughs> with college students and adjustment, there are about four, six categories I want to talk about. One of them is academics, cultural, emotional, financial, intellectual, and social adjustments. Okay. When we look at college students, those are those adjustments that we're looking at here. But those same adjustments are on the eight dimensions of wellness, and they are identical. The eight dimensions of wellness? The eight dimensions of wellness, right. So if you ever seen a wellness wheel, uh -huh. those dimensions up there are going to align with those six adjustments that we talked about with college students. And this is very, very important. And let me tell you why. So you're adjusting to academics here at the school, a new culture, new emotions um, here at college, financial, all those things play a role in your wellness. Mm -hmm. So as college students, my advice to you with the emotional part is to stay connected with mindset, who you are, um, what you're feeling, how you're processing different things. And then whenever things are off balance, seek help. Okay, you have to seek help because if not, you'll just think it's normal. Let me give you an example when I say seek help. So tell me, Nora, what's something you do when you're um, 
anxious or you just need to de-stress, what's something that you do? Ooh, I bite my nails oh. all the time. <laughs> well, whenever I'm stressed, I just gone at them and gone at them. <laughs> okay, okay. So you want to find something something more healthy to do. Um, you need to find something that you like, um, like running, walking, journaling, uh, art, Things like that can help you to relax. Now, what's something that you like to do? I love to journal. I was actually about to ask you about that. Um, <laughs> what are your recommendations when it comes to journaling? Because I love to, when I'm feeling sad or going through something where I'm like at a crisis, I'm like, okay, I need to assess the situation, sit down, and just start journaling. And I kind of treat it as a conversation with myself, trying to get to know myself better so that I can adjust to it. I love that. So that's your coping skill. So with journaling, it could be anything. It could be writing in your diary. It could be drawing or sketching. And, and recently, doodling has come up. Okay. So people that just sit and doodle is very therapeutic. So um, that's your norm. Now, whenever that doesn't work anymore, after you do it, do you feel better? I do feel better. So when it's time to talk to someone is whenever you sit down and you start journaling and doodling or whatever you do, and it no longer makes you feel better. Gosh. That means that the balance is off. So, so you were upset. And you use doodling or journaling to bring you back balanced, right? All right. It works. After it's over, you feel better. You feel back to yourself again. But for hours, you have doodled or journaled, and now you still feel worse or even feel worse than when you first came in. That's the sign that that coping mechanism is no longer working and you need to adjust. Sometimes maybe you need to talk to someone, change something up a little bit. But that's your body's way of saying, hey, this is not working anymore. Um, need to do something different. If the coping mechanism doesn't work, do you discard that coping mechanism forever, or is it just one or two times? Because yes. I feel I feel like if someone's doodled all the time, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they'd want to quit that. Yeah, I think absolutely. not only has it become therapeutic, mm-hmm. it's become like a hobby of some absolutely. sort. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You want to continue to do it. You just want to recognize that maybe you need some kind of intervention because normally what you usually do is not working. So for me, I love music. I love to dance around the house. Well, if I'm dancing and I've been, you know, trying to feel better and trying and it's not working, that tells me that that coping mechanism is not working and maybe I need to see what's going on, what what filters are there, this barriers that is keeping me from being happy. Yep. All right. So what's the increased academic stress that all college students go through? There's also that stress with personal relationships. Now, what are some strategies college students can, like, help minimize that stress because personally i know with me my relationships when i entered uh, jcc they went down a bit because there was that academic stress and then the academic stress took over more of my time and then i could spend less time with my family so what are some strategies you could provide me to help me with that that's a great point you bring up um relationships are important so you definitely you want to it sounds crazy, but you want to schedule in time with your family. Oh. Absolutely. Um, you feel like you have a schedule, and I'm going to just put that I have to be to math class at 8 o'clock or 5 o'clock. But you need dedicated time with your family, and you put it on your schedule, and you make sure at 6 o'clock you're there to have dinner with your family, or you put on your calendar that you're going to take your significant other one to the movies or do something or I'm going to spend time with my friends. This is very, very crucial for your mental health. Just having that balance, staying as normal as you can in stressful times. So sometimes just being with family and friends will 
just help relieve some of the stress that you go through with the daunting task of sometimes being in school and the schedule you have and just taking that moment to spend that time with family and friends is crucial. So in a way, spending time with family and friends, it's a coping mechanism? It's a way to relieve stress? Absolutely is. All right. When you're around uh, family and friends, your whole mindset change. So think about it. So you haven't seen your cousin in two years, and they come home, and you're around the table. How do you feel? I feel excited. Like, oh, my cousin's here. Exactly. You feel good. The same thing is whenever you're around your pets or you're like, come home and I have a miniature schnauzer and she runs up to me. It just changes my whole mindset, right? It just brings me all those happy uh, hormones start to flow. So being around your family and friends, especially if it's not a contentious situation, it's very relaxing for you, very calming for you. You want to do it as much as you can. All right. That makes me wonder if somebody is to move to a place where they cannot access their family and friends as often, how can they adjust as well? How can they bring themselves this happiness again? With technology, we can almost do anything. So we want to utilize FaceTiming them, talking to them on the phone as much as we can. And it's nothing like that physical in-person interaction. So you want to, when, when you're at a new college or new school, you want to make new friends. You want to join clubs and organizations that become your new family. Um, a lot of times whenever you join a club or organization, those people become your new brothers and sisters, you know, on campus. So those things where they can't take the place of your mom, dad, sister, brother, they can um, kind of fill in for that same joy that you feel about being around people that share your concerns and have your back. So a family away from family. A family away from family. All right, now on the topic of technology, you were talking about some of the benefits about technology. Now, of course, Technology has its benefits, and but there are, of course, bad things about technology, especially with the pandemic. We've seen this drastic increase in the amount of time people spend on their screen time. Now, how might this affect transitions? How might this affect a person's ability to adapt? Absolutely. This is some great questions, guys. Um, technology, like you say, can um, have its vices. And one of them um, is the fact that whenever you're on your device for a long period of time, you're not having that social interaction that you need. So a lot of times, a lot of students or people uh, forget how to just communicate, how to talk to people, um, how to be personable with people, because they're always texting or they're always just communicating through technology. So this can play a very negative role in your social aspect of things. Um, You want to, if you're at dinner with friends, you want to put those phones away. I know it sounds cheesy and it's something your parents probably would tell you, but being able to communicate with people on a personal level in person is valuable for you guys. Because whenever you graduate from school and you go to corporate or you get your jobs and stuff, you would no longer be able to have those um, devices with you all the time. So you need to know how to communicate with people. Um, in person, talk to them. It's it's very good for your social interaction. I definitely agree with that, how we need to speak to people on a social level face-to-face. But that being said, I do want to ask a different question from this topic. Um, What would you recommend for someone to create mental and overall health goals? So if I wanted to make a goal for myself and set it, 
how can I do so proficiently while maintaining my health and making sure that I'm not stressing about this goal while I'm trying to make myself better? <laughs> oh my god, that's great! Absolutely, you can. People really do do that. You know, they stress over all types of things. So um, goals are are set to kind of be a guide for us. Um, they're they're not set in stone and they're very flexible. Um, if you see that a goal is causing you too much stress, you want to just analyze that goal. See if you just need to, to delete it altogether or reconstruct it, okay? Because you don't want in, anything that's a goal um, should be positive because the end result should bring us some positive um, feedback, right? right? So you definitely don't want anything that's stressing you out. So not having too many goals is key too, another key point to have. Um, you want to lose weight and you have 50 goals on your task list. Well, that's overwhelming and that's gonna be stressful. So a lot of times that's what we see when people set goals is they set too many or they're not realistic. You wanna set realistic goals, things that's, things that's measurable that you really can meet. So whenever you're setting goals for mental health and wellness, you don't wanna set goals that you can't per se measure like Give yourself a timeline. I'm going to go walking um, just to relieve stress mm -hmm. uh, twice a week. If you put down that you're going to go walking every day, um, twice a day, then it may become when, whenever you don't achieve that goal, it causes you to have stress. Okay? So you don't want that. You want things that's tangible, things that you can, not tangible, but things that's measurable, things that you know you can get done. Okay? I agree with that. And I also wanted to add on to it. When we set these goals, I think a lot of people, they create create this kind of um, illusion for themselves that they need to reach this goal to be happy rather than making this goal because they want happiness. They're telling themselves they need it for happiness, but they're not doing the goal to achieve happiness. They're not setting the goal to be happy. So what would you recommend for that? Would you agree that's how it should be? Like, here's an example. Some people, when they're on trying to lose weight, they try to set a goal of a number for what they think they need to be rather than setting a goal for confidence, for they just need to see themselves in the mirror and be happy with it, that they need these changes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm so glad I came today, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. <laughs> I'm so happy that you came. Thank you for coming today. That's a great thing to look at, um, perception of yourself. Um, if you're setting a goal because you want to lose weight, right, and that number is so important to you, you may want to look at um, why the number is important and how you see yourself. Because if you see yourself as... If I lose five pounds, it's going to make me beautiful. If I lose 10 pounds, it's going to make me sexy. Or however you look at it, you may want to adjust your thought process in, in achieving that goal. So I like the way you put it. Achieving goals uh, for self-satisfaction, to feel good about it is good, not just to check a box. You never, you, never, you never create a goal just to check a box. So I'm not going to create a goal just so that I can say I did it because that's not who are you doing it for? Right. Most of the, most of the time, when you set a goal to check a box, you're doing it for someone else. Oh, interesting. And those are not healthy. And those are not healthy, right? Um, so if I set a goal to lose, um, just 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 to check a box, right? It's because 
some kind of way I perceive that that's going to bring some kind of joy or something to me or, or somebody else is going to feel good about me checking that box, okay? Um, but if you do it because you want to do it, it's not so much um, the, the amount that you lose. It's just that you've made an effort to lose it and you're proud of yourself for doing that. It, it's a real thin line, but it's something that you have to pay closer to, especially with mental health issues that rise with self-esteem and how people see themselves. You really want to pay attention to the negative the, the negative perceptions of you that you take on. Okay, Don't worry about that. You set goals for you and your satisfaction. Now, what you're saying reminds me of this quote I recently read. It doesn't matter what you achieve. What really matters is how you achieve it. Now, uh, well, how do I say this? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I like that. I, I, I do love it. But it's something that I would have to analyze deeper because I can see how you achieve something as being a positive as well. So it's not that I don't disagree with the quote. It's just that it depends on what aspect we're talking about. Uh-huh. Because sometimes how you achieve something is just as relevant and self-fulfilling as what you what I achieved. Uh-huh. All right. It, it really is. Um, let me see if I can give you an example real quick. So how I facilitated this, this talk today, right, um, is important because of the outcome. Who will it reach? How many people will it affect? What would be the positive um, feedback that you will receive? Or, you know, just like the overall big picture of today. So how I do it was very, very important. Right. You know, doing the research, being on time, knowing those things is how I did it. It was very important. And then why I did it was important as well, if that makes sense. But that was a it good question. I think you got me on that one. All right. Yeah. Sorry, it was just something that came to my yes. mind. I'm like, okay. I love that. I love that. I'm going to ponder on that. <laughs> so as we go into adjusting, I think the transition is not just a straight line, but it has its ups and downs. And that brings me into when somebody is doing well and they're making their way up, Sometimes they hit a down and it just demotivates them. Like they lose all sense of self and they're just totally lost from where to go back up. What would you recommend for this? What do you have to say? I would tell that person that fell down that that's life. I mean, it is as simple as it is, that's life. And um, it, sometimes in order to... to to succeed, you you have to fail um, because that's when you can learn the most. Sometimes when you're down and coming back up, um, it also makes you very humble. And humble is a great attribute to have. Um, it, it lets you know that you know no no one is just set in stone to be on top all the time. That there are, there are things that we have to strive to make and do. I would also tell them to always have in the back of their mind that. Um, they didn't really fail because they, because they had to uh, come to a low point in their life. That's not really failure. Um, and, and and again, it's mindset. It's how you think about it. So if someone thinks about it that way, it's going to be negative. If you think about it in a positive way and take that and turn it around and say, okay, let me analyze what happened to make this this fall happen. 
so that I won't do it again, so that I'll be better at it the next time, so that I can help someone else. So sometimes we fall so that we can learn, so that we can help the next person. So what if no one ever failed? Then how, how, how will we make it? Someone had to fail in order for us to know the things to do and not to do. Does that make sense? I do. Yeah. And we can't succeed without failing. We cannot. 100%. So you, that's, that's the way you have to look at it. Again, mindset is very important here. It's how you think about it, the situation, and what good can come out of it. So failing isn't all bad all the time. So just look at it that way. See what good you can always pull out of it. How can I help the person coming behind me not to make the same mistakes I made in order for that to be accomplished? Somebody had to fail. You know, somebody had to, to go through that. Now, I, I know we discussed this a little bit earlier, but what makes adjustment and transition burdensome? I know you've talked about mindset a lot, but is it only mindset? Are there outside factors that influence mindset? Could you... Mm-hmm. Uh, explain that to us a bit absolutely so some other factors that make it um burdensome for people is the willingness to not adjust i mean the willingness to not change to accept change that is the biggest thing um we as humans we we don't ha- we don't like change unless we're the ones instructing the change oh, if yeah. we're driving the change we're good but if we're asked to accept the change, it's a whole uh-huh. different story, okay? So our unwillingness to change is, is the catalyst to this. And the reason behind it is fear. Um, when you deal with change, you it's unknown. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's something new. So we're afraid of things that we not know, don't know because we don't have control over it. So we have to not, um, we have to not just. So it's the aspect of feeling in control. That's really important. It is. All right. It is. And the way that you feel in control is to um, simulation. Remember what I said about simulation? Yes, you, you definitely want to get that information. You want to get that understanding, that full understanding of this new thing. Okay. When I get the full understanding of anything new, you feel good, right? So when you study for a calculus test or you study for an English exam, when you feel like you know that knowledge, it's a good feeling, right? It's a, Definitely. It's a, on top of the world feeling. <laughs> it is a great feeling. It's because of that simulation. You took time to take in and get a full understanding of what was going to be asked of you, and now you feel confident and you feel ready to go. That's the same thing with any change. Understand what the change is, get to know as much as you can, and go in at full throttle with that energy. That simulation is going to be key here. So no matter what you ask to do, you can, somebody can come in right now and be like, okay, Gail, you're going to go be the CEO of Google, right? That's a big task, right? And it yeah. Big. But if I go in and you go in and we learn everything we can about Google, we're going to walk into that office, right? And we're gonna have that confidence to take on that new change, right? We are the boss. We we're going to we'll be the CEO. We, we are the CEO. We are the new CEOs of Google. Right. So that same approach and that motivation, that feeling that you just got, that can be put into any situation that you're in. I have to go take if you're in the AS program, Associates in Science program, you know the lowest math you can take is Math 171, pre-calculus algebra, right? Right. Again, adjusting to that new thing. This is the new norm. In order for me to attain my goal, I must take one of these maps, right? 
I'm going to go study. I'm going to go learn. And I'm going to knock it out of the box. Adjustment, change, assimilation. So would you agree that with change, what can cause it to be hindered with our mentality is fear? As you said before, fear is what causes it to do that. I think that when we snowball down, it makes the change just feel worse and worse. Fear is the leading factor. Absolutely. And how can we fix that? Again, again, um, we only fear things that we don't know, right? That's true. I, I, I haven't had many people fear something that they were confident in and knew about, right? So you, I often see surgeons go in and I'd be like, if I had to operate on this person, I would be scared, you know, out of my mind, right? But you see surgeons go in all the time and operate is because they have that knowledge, that training, right? They have that experience. You have that experience. And so this is something I tell my students all the time. Trust the whole division and trust the process. The vision so, and trust the process. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm probably going to keep that <laughs> oh, yeah, in the back yeah. of my mind for the rest of my life. Hold the vision. Hold the vision. And trust the process. Trust the process. So so here's the thing. You set a goal, right? Because remember, transitioning stuff in school, college, we always go, go, go setting for you guys, right? So your goal is to graduate from JCC with your degree, okay? That's your vision, right? Mm-hmm. Right? You have to trust the process. And when I say trust the process, this is the whole fear, scary part. It's because you have to trust me as your academic advisor to guide you the right way. You have to trust the institution to be accredited and to have all the things you need. So that's trusting the process. And sometimes it's hard for people. They have a vision. They come in with the vision, but they don't really trust that process, right? They say, I don't know if she told me right, or I don't know if this is right. That's a hard thing to do. But if you hold your vision and trust the process, you're going to be okay. So knowledge and trust is what combats fear. It does. Okay. That's a great way to put it. In conclusion, mindset is key. Mindset is core to everything. Knowing yourself as well. Knowing, knowing yourself. That is just yeah, mindset. Absolutely, mindset. If you change how you think about things, your approach to things in a positive way, um, you're going to be okay. Um, really, I'm not saying that things isn't going to happen. Change is going to happen. We're living in an evolving world, right? Change is happening right now as we sit here in this chair. That's true. But how we think about it, how we approach it, is if we're going to approach it as a negative or a positive. Are we going to approach it from a standpoint that I can help or I'm just going to complain? Um, am I going to approach it from failure is not an option, so I must succeed? I mean, it's how you think about it. Every day I wake up, I tell myself I'm going to be great. Not because I'm better than anybody else, but I tell myself I'm going to be great to form the mindset that greatness is within me. And I can achieve anything I want to achieve as long as I work hard at it, right? And if I didn't achieve it, maybe it wasn't meant for me to achieve. So it's a mindset thing, okay? Right. It's It's how I look at it. I don't think we have any I more questions. I think this was a great way to end it. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure to be here, guys. All right. Thank you. Have a great day, Miss Revere. You too, guys. You too. <laughs>
Now, today we have our second guest for our Adjusting to New Norms topic, Ms. Megan Muller, the Assistant Director of Student Advising here at JCC. Ms. Muller, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, um, I am uh, part of the student student success and advising team and what that um, comprises of is advising of course but also our counseling services and what we provide for students um, in terms of that so um, I have been here since 2018 and am really the primary contact for anything that has to do with counseling I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor so I have been um, I've, I have experience working in therapy and counseling with people with a variety of disorders, different um, populations. So I bring that experience to JCC with me. That's wonderful. So first question I wanted to ask you about adjusting to new norms is about relationships. Sometimes when people enter a relationship, whether platonic, normally romantic, it consumes a lot of their time. Yeah. And adjusting to it can be a big change that people just can't handle what would you give an advice to that so you make a really good point i mean it's two people coming together sometimes especially at the beginning they don't know one another that well so um you know not knowing someone can take in a little adjustment getting used to their different um i guess idiosyncrasies and habits what they do um so one thing i would I suggest this anyway in any kind of relationship is give people some grace and understanding, especially if you don't know them very well and you're not sure how they act in certain situations. You shouldn't assume that you know how they'll act. Um, And also, you know, while you're getting to know someone, if something happens that surprises you about them, if you're in that romantic type um, relationship, you know, not having any judgment, being open-minded is going to help in any kind of continuance of that relationship. So when we're meeting someone new, we shouldn't let the first impression dictate our understanding of them, right? Right, right. Yes, um, first impressions, I mean, they're very strong, of course. We all make judgments whether we mean to or not. Um, But you're right, we shouldn't let our first impressions lead us into our I guess opinions about that person so it's very important like I said to be non-judgmental especially if you want to um, make connections with others all right along with first impressions I think it can also get tied into when somebody you already know says something to you and you tell yourself that it's something different entirely from their tone and what they meant What would you say about that? Right. So knowing someone, um, it's definitely can be a little different because you already expect how they're going to react to certain things. And like you're saying, if they say something that you're not expecting, that can make you pause and kind of be like, do I really know this person? How do I feel about what they're saying? Um, So I feel like in these kind of situations, communication is going to be key in that. so you get some clarification about what they're saying. If you do have a good relationship with them already, they shouldn't be too, um, I guess, offended if you're asking them, you know, what did you mean by that? Um, I thought you meant it this way, but is this how you really meant it? 
Yeah, that happens to me a lot where I get the wrong idea. <laughs> that happens to me as well where I'm like, oh, okay, this is the way that someone said this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to interpret it like this. And then there are times where I hold just a little bit of a grudge to them. I'm like, yeah, oh, this yeah. this person. I'm like, I- I'm going to have to be careful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that might happen. That might be like, ooh, maybe I need to question some things about this person. And like I said, be careful about how I act and what I say around them. All right, now, Ms. Muller, we heard a lot about the importance of mindset as we transition. What are your opinions upon that? Do you, do you think it's very important as well? For mindset? Yeah. Um, so how we go into feeling about situations? I feel like mindset is a very, very important factor on how we, um, how we perceive our relationships, how we commit with people. Um, if you're going to have a closed mindset then definitely nothing's going to move forward and you may need to reassess you know where you are right then um if you have more of a positive and open-minded type mindset then i feel like that has a great potential for growth i agree i think but is there a specific like i've heard a lot as a student oh you need to have like a growth mindset what really is a growth mindset i've never really understood it to me, a growth mindset is more um, knowing that, be, believing in yourself. I feel like that's kind of more what that means. So believing that you can do something, it's not something, you know, if you get an assignment, say you're bad at math, and you're just automatically saying, I'm bad at math, I'm not going to do well. Um, sometimes that might lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you say, you know what? Maybe I haven't been good at math in the past, but that doesn't mean I can't be in the future. So that's how I see a growth mindset of being, is that you can get better if you want to. I think that is a great way to put it. Even coming in today, I was nervous because I wasn't feeling very well. I told myself, oh, I'm going to do awful, but then I reminded (laughs) myself, I cannot have that mindset. I just have to keep being positive and telling myself it's going to go good. As students, especially high school students, transition into the college experience, there's increased responsibility, more freedom, and then there's stress. What are some ways a student could like mitigate this increased stress? That's a very great question because I feel like that transition from high school to college is one of the biggest transitions that we have. Um, mostly not just because it's high school to college, but it's basically childhood to adulthood. And um, like you said, there's increased responsibilities, but also different responsibilities. And especially if you're moving out of your um, childhood home or moving to a different place, then that's even more um, change that you have to adapt to. Um, So for that, I think one thing to think about when going into any kind of change is that change does happen. And um, as long as you're open to that and you realize, all right, Well, this might not be comfortable for me at first, but I know that if I do this or that or that, then I can try to adapt better to this change. I will be successful in what I want to do. Um, So having that open-mindedness about yourself is going to be important. Um, Now, in terms of decreasing stress, there's definitely various things that you can do for your overall well-being, like um, some people definitely feel better when they exercise. Um, if they engage in hobbies that they really enjoy, 
meditation and um, yoga, things like that are very helpful. Um, so those are some things you can do to decrease stress in terms of physical type activities, but just finding something that you enjoy and you can take time away from all the changes, the stress that's going on is going to help too. I think that that's really great. I love to journal a lot to help mm-hmm. me de-stress as well. But going into the next question, we have been talking a lot about change and how that affects us, but we haven't talked about what if this change is bad and it's outside of our control? Like what if we're put around a person who is not healthy, who's just a toxic person to be around or a toxic mm-hmm. environment? What do we do then? How do we adapt? Um, there's a di- lot of different facets to that. If it's a situation that you can't get out of, then it's going to make it even harder. And unfortunately, a lot of people do get into the situation um, when they live with the person. Um, so, I mean, you can't just leave the house if you don't have anywhere else to go. So usually in these kind of toxic relationships, um, one thing to start doing is start to distance yourself from that person who is causing all this negativity in your life. But like I said, it's easier said than done. Um, so it, it sometimes it could take a while. Um, if you aren't so close to the person, you know, just stop the interactions and things like that. That might be as easy as that. But, um, but that's not always going to be the situation. So trying to distance yourself um, would be... I think a helpful way to get to that, but could be hard. Now, I'm going to bring up a sore topic for a lot of people, the pandemic. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, the pandemic happened a while ago. Let's not talk about it anymore. But with the pandemic, a lot more people started spending a lot more time on their phones, on their laptops. Screen time increased. How might this affect transition? How might this affect someone's flexibility? Well, I mean, that's definitely a good um, question, a good point you make, because even though it might seem like the pandemic is over, the effects of the pandemic aren't over. And and I don't mean health effects. I mean more like the mental health <laughs> effects of it. Um, and they're really just kind of starting, really. Um, but you're right. Like, isolation was a huge issue that came up when the pandemic started. And it wasn't self-isolation or, I mean, self-inflicted isolation it was forced on us and our ways to communicate were really through technology if you didn't live with the person um so that creates new habits this is how i communicate with people is through um, social media texting whatever however you did that during the pandemic during shutdown and that's how you got used to talking to people Um, now though i mean there are places where it's kind of like, well, you don't have a choice. You have to be in person. So now you're going to have to learn how to communicate in person to somebody who maybe you've only ever talked to through electronic means. Um, But I I think that especially students who graduated during the pandemic and started college during the pandemic are going to have a bigger um, transition to this. their lives, and I don't know how old all y'all are, <laughs> but um, their lives especially were disruptive, disrupted um, with that transition, that major one that we were talking about from high school to college, because um, that is a 
pretty huge transition. Um, but anyway, so this new communication people will have to learn might be kind of tough on them at first. Um, I mean, in high school, you had to go to school every day. That's right? true. So you did have these communication skills, these um, in-person skills. But then there's two years or so where you didn't have to talk to anybody if you really didn't want to. We just needed to be there in the meeting, you know, <laughs> yeah. do some homework, take some tests. We didn't exactly. really need to communicate. Exactly. But now um, we don't really have – it's not as easy now as it was. So. Uh -huh. It's really, and I think everybody has had to get used to more being in person than not. I know for one thing, like at work for me, during meetings, a lot of times when they are virtual, you didn't have to have your camera on. So you could look any way oh, you yeah. wanted. You could make faces if you wanted to. and You didn't need to hide your emotions. Yeah, exactly. If someone said something you didn't like, and, you could just, ah. Yeah, exactly. So when I found when I had to come back and have meetings in person, I was like, okay, I really need to be careful about how I look. And it really kind of taught me a lot of stuff um, about how our nonverbal communication um skills i guess are so important as well and, but yeah i've heard of that uh, a bit how uh, like two-thirds of our communications is or one-third of our communication is our body language yeah i, mean, I think it's, it's more like two-thirds like you two -thirds. Were saying. Okay. yeah I'll, it's, I'll it's closer to um like the vast majority of our communication is nonverbal, um which is one reason uh Email can be hard sometimes, um, and I think that's one reason, and I don't know for sure, but uh, why emojis are so important is because oh. they do show um, our tone of voice, so in a way. So, like, if you say something um, that, you know, it might come off as, I mean this in a good way or I mean this in a bad way, if you put a smiley face beside it, then the person knows, okay, I meant this, you definitely meant this in a good way. Um, so that person knows how you meant it. And that can be kind of a, um, a put in place of tone of voice, if that makes sense. Oh my gosh, sometimes when it comes to tone of voice over text, I get personally offended if I don't <laughs> yeah. get the emoji that I want. <laughs> okay, yeah. But one question that I wanted to lean into is, as we transition into the pandemic, we talked about changes and other stuff with communication, but do you think the pandemic had an effect on people's extroverted versus introverted self? Like, for example, people who used to be extroverts, as the pandemic occurred, did that cause them to become more um, disclosed, like keeping to themselves? That's a very interesting question. I've never thought about that. And um, I don't even know if there's any data or anything like that research. Um, into that kind of possible effect. So extroversion and introversion, they're more of a, um, I say kind of a character trait. You know, you're more predisposed to one or the other. You could have a mix of both. It's more of a spectrum than anything. But um, I would say those who are more on the very extroverted side of things, um, having to be by themselves uh, probably was not as easy as someone who preferred to be by themselves. And I mean not because they didn't like themselves, but people who are extroverted get their energy from being around others, whereas people who are introverted, they get more energy from being um, alone or with a few amount of people. So it felt like torture to them, like just taking away food from them. They're like, yeah. oh, this is how I get my energy. Like, yeah, exactly. I can't be energetic anymore. Exactly. 
So um, I'm, I'm sure, and I, don't, I mean, like I said, I don't know 100%, um, but um, I'm sure people who are more extroverted did feel a little bit, uh, took it a little harder, harder to get used to not being around people. Yeah, I definitely know a lot of people, they got um, a lot more depressed if they were extroverted beforehand. It had a big impact on them. But one thing that I did see as the pandemic was first beginning and things were closing was a lot of jokes from introverts online talking about how this is like their paradise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like they are social distancing before yeah. it was cool or whatever. Yeah. We talked about screen time. What are some tips we could balance screen time? I, I, I know we've talked about the negative effects and we've talked about how this has become our new form of community. Mm-hmm. But how are we supposed to balance, you know, this is too much or this is too little? Maybe I need, you That's know? a good question. Um, so I think one thing is to figure out um, what is a healthy amount of screen time for yourself. Because it varies with everybody. Um, like for me, uh, if I notice that I'm not talking to anybody, then that's probably, and I'm more like on my phone or whatever, I'm probably not using screen time in a healthy way. <laughs> um, but if you, um, and I mean, I'm not going to say all screen time is bad because you can do a lot of interaction through computers, um, especially like gamers. Um, it's not, playing video games isn't necessarily an isolated thing. And now, you know, a lot of it is a group thing. Um, so, Screen time, I feel like it's one of those things you have to figure out what's healthy for you and what's not, and then figure out if this is too much, then how can I cut back? But then again, you know, figuring out how you're going to cut back, that's good, but then actually doing it is going to be the next step, and that could be harder. Um, But I think the first step is figuring out what's good for you, what's not good for you, then making a plan of how to even it out. What are some things that can tell someone? This is not good for you. You should decrease your screen time. <laughs> well, one, like I said, if you're not interacting with anybody, that's not good. <laughs> um, if you are not getting enough sleep, that's not good either. Or your um, self-care or hygiene, really, if that's, you know, kind of oh. <laughs> going out the window, that's definitely a sign that that's not good. But I would say it's more um, the biggest indicator is if, you're not feeling good about yourself. Oh, okay. So I guess it could depend on how you're using your screen time, like what you're looking um, at, if you're on social media sites, if you're reading. Um, just depends, I think, on what that's doing to you as well. Because, I mean, obviously everybody knows that um, uh, social media, various things on the internet can be very toxic for you. Oh, yeah. And oh, definitely. If you're engaging in more toxic screen time than not, then that's not going to be good either. I think the effects of the pandemic as we were brought into screen time, I'm wondering if there's good and bad as well, because some people were able to make more friends online. And how does it affect people if they're just online friends and they don't have anyone face-to-face to talk to. Yeah, I feel like that's a very um, uh, controversial thing um, about people saying your online friends aren't real friends. Yeah. And I don't believe that. Like <laughs> Me I was just neither. saying, like video games, for example, they are very interactive with people. And just because you're not seeing them or being in the same room, doesn't mean that you're not um, relating to somebody. 
Um, I mean, I do feel like you need more, you do need in-person interactions, but I don't think your online friends aren't real friends. Um, sometimes uh, not seeing someone or being around them can make it easier for you to talk to them. So that makes a difference too. Um, I really do think it just goes back to if you have a genuine connection with these people. And obviously online, you know, meeting someone online, if you've never met them in real life, you know, you can't 100% be sure if they are who they say they are. Um, but it's not impossible to figure that out. And I mean, if you never meet that person in real life, that doesn't mean they're any less than a friend. I think that might be some of the case why I think that I originally believe that no, these online friends, are, although they're like friends, they're more of acquaintances. You can't really have that genuine connection. But I've never really thought of it the way you've explained it. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> One thing that I'm wondering about as well when we talk about screen time is as the pandemic caused us to use it more, do you think it might have had an effect on how people saw themselves as well? Because being on social media more often, we're seeing all these people with Photoshop, mm -hmm. extreme makeup, all that stuff, and it's just not entirely realistic. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I have a whole, um, a lot of opinions about social media that <laughs> might not be, uh, you know, in what we're talking about today, but um, I feel like for the most part, and this is just my opinion, social media has more of a harmful effect on people than a positive. Um, so if you're going to, you know, be on your phone, be on the computer, I feel like social media should be one of the lesser things that you're looking at. Um, and because I'm not, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't even think of anything positive that I've ever heard come from social media. Um, but y'all might have some ideas that I don't. From how I see it, the few positives of social media is that news can be let out easier. You get these differing primary sources where it's not this through this news agency where you're getting your news. That's really how I see it. But I don't think we should be spending... 30 minutes, an hour, two hours on social media. I think that's harmful. I think it's more of like five, 10 minutes, you know? Let's yeah. scroll a bit, see what's the news, you know? Yeah. Maybe something happened in India that I want to know about. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's more of a um, target goal of being on social media. And like, you know, there is so much unrealistic expectations that are shown on social media that it is very harmful to your um, confidence and how you see yourself, self-esteem, I guess. Um, so I feel like less time spent on social media is um, better, but it is a way to connect with people, which is important as well. All right, so you talked about this a bit, but what are the importance of goals when we're transitioning? You said that, oh, we need to want to make the change, but we actually have to put the action in. Mm -hmm. Is goals, uh, creating goals, whether they be mental health goals, physical health goals, or just goals to accomplish things, are they helpful in transition? I, mean, I think so, um, for sure. If you, especially if you already know you might have difficulty doing something, just make kind of little goals and small accomplishments so when you succeed you can say well I did succeed in this so I know I can you know succeed again and 
um, adapt better to this change. So um, I feel like goals give us something tangible to work towards, and it's not just something that we're thinking about in our heads um, that, oh, I would like to do this, I would like to do that. If you define them, then that's going to give you something more targeted to work towards, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. Um, one thing about goals that I was curious is how can we set a goal and encourage ourselves to achieve it? That's a good one. I feel like rewarding ourselves for, like I said, the small accomplishments, small steps that we've taken, I feel like helps us kind of reinforce that this goal is achievable. I feel like you shouldn't make goals that are too big and too um, extravagant that they are too overwhelming and aren't, you're not able to achieve those. That could be discouraging because you're not getting there fast enough. Um, But just rewarding yourself as you go along, I feel like is going to help you. Now, this is a bit on a tangent from our original topic, <laughs> but I've heard of these like New Year's resolutions and how these don't go. Is that because the goals are too big, too drastic, or is it another thing about the goals, the way that people have set these New Year's resolutions? I think mostly what it is is that you have to commit to accomplishing the goals. So, um, I mean, yeah, New Year's resolutions, everyone is kind of expected to have those. So that expectation can put some pressure itself on, you know, doing these goals. It might make it easier to give up on them or people around you saying, oh, I'm giving up my New Year's resolution goals. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I will too. I mean, it wasn't that important to begin with. So I feel like if you're going to make goals like a New Year's resolution, you shouldn't view it as a New Year's resolution. You should view as a lifestyle change and I really want to do this oh all right about new year's resolution I think one of the issues for me personally is that I set a big goal and I think that I'm gonna have the entire year to get it done but I'm guessing based off of how it's gone for me that setting goals too far ahead in the future can be not so good mm-hmm. and so with goals um when you are setting them, I feel like you need to, or it's helpful if you have a time um, limit on them. So you can look at them as a short-term goal and then define what's a short-term goal. Is that a week? Is that three days? And then long-term goals, is that three months? Is that a year? And work towards what's um, realistic and achievable to you. So if you're thinking of a goal, like let's say um, working out more, um, what does more mean? Does that mean going to the gym, like, period? Or does that mean going three times a week or doing some kind of new exercise routine? And um, then establishing, okay, how often, um, what kind of exercise am I going to do? And when I do it for, let's say, a month, what's what happens after that? And um, hopefully, if it's something like that, you've already established a habit, which, you know, shouldn't be hard to continue, but... Um, you know, something, all goals, all permanent changes, you're going to have to keep that, uh, keep that in mind to keep on going and keep it as a habit. All right. So going back on the original topic now with increased, with the increased academic stress of college, there's the increased stress of relationships. Now that's not like negative relationships where you have someone, it's more of the stress of you have this academic work, this college work that's much more important than 
maybe you viewed your high school work, and then you've also got to juggle your relationship, maybe your relationships with your family, maybe a significant other. So how do we balance all of that? That is definitely um, can be a struggle no matter how old you are, what life circumstance you're in, is just balancing everything in your life. And for me, um, setting priorities is what's going to make it easier to handle. Um, so what's most important? And if that's school, then um, you have to figure out, okay, well, I have this person in my life who's very special to me. So how do I make time for them as well as get my academic goals accomplished? If your relationships are more important than school, then, um, I mean, school will be number two and your relationships will be number one. And I'm not saying there's one that's better than the other um, or that, you know, school should always be more important than people in your life or people in your life should be more important than school. But um, it relates back to kind of what we've been talking about with goals is um, what is it that you want to be doing and that will help you prioritize um, what you try to manage in your life. So a big part of adapting is setting goals for ourselves along the way. And so what I'm wondering about is if it's better to set a more broad goal or narrow it down. For example, instead of saying, I'm going to work out, instead saying, well, how am I going to work out? Where am I going to do this? Yeah. So I feel like the more you can define the goal, the easier it's going to be to achieve. And I don't know if y'all have heard of SMART goals. Um, I've never really heard of I feel like I've heard the phrase somewhere before. Yeah. And I, I mean, they might sound kind of, it might sound kind of corny, but I feel like they really do work. So it's an acronym. SMART means specific. So making the goal as specific uh -huh. as possible. M um, stands for measurable. So kind of telling, um, figuring out how you can make measure your success in this goal. A stands for achievable. So basically, is this realistic? Um, and uh, well, R is realistic too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so achievable, realistic, I mean, kind of similar. But T um, is also, is this, is the time frame you set realistic also? So um, developing these SMART goals, and you can just type in SMART goals into Google and um, get more of a definition of what they mean. And it, I mean, it does sound kind of corny, but I do like SMART goals. And um, if you're trying to really, you know, do something for yourself, I feel like it's a good way to define your goals. I do like that. I think I'll use that like, oh, you should set SMART goals. And the person's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to set SMART goals. What do you mean by SMART goals? I'm like, yeah. no, the acronym SMART goals. Uh -huh. I definitely love the acronym. I'm probably going to use that in the future now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with college, we're, we have, and with change especially, we're having these emotions. And I know we talked about this a bit, where we get these positive emotions, we get these negative emotions. And personally, I struggle. I'm like, how am I supposed to swim through this wave of emotions? Could could you give me a bit of tips, some tips I can use to better myself in that? Well, let's see. So um, I would say, you know, trying to manage that. Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to answer. Um, oh, gosh. So... I always feel like having a good self-awareness of yourself is um, good. Maybe kind of 
trying how do I describe this like kind of a self check-in um seeing okay I'm feeling this wave of emotions about this is this good or is this bad and then going from there and I, I try to do this a lot with myself like professionally in my um, home life all this stuff um, being very self-aware of how I'm feeling of the situation and if I'm having negative emotions with it then I figure well if I don't want to feel negative anymore I probably need to change something if they're positive emotions and they're healthy because <laughs> there can be positive unhealthy emotions um, then uh, I'll be like okay well, I feel good. I think this is a good thing for me, so I'll continue doing whatever. I don't know if that answers your question. It kind of does, but now I'm curious. What are positive, unhealthy emotions? Because <laughs> for me, I'm like, there are positive and negative emotions. That the Positive is healthy, negative is unhealthy. But it seems like that's not the case. I think with positive and unhealthy, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's when you like to do something, but it's bad for you. Right, right. Like screen time, if we spend too much time on a game in particular, rather than doing something a bit more productive. Right. So, because when I said that, I saw your face. <laughs> yeah, I was like, positive, unhealthy. Yeah, so it's kind of like, well, like you're saying, you know, um, I'm feeling good looking at my computer right now, but is this healthy for myself? And, um, I mean, maybe in the long term it's not, you're not feeling so great about it. But also, like, and this is kind of an extreme example, but doing drugs, you know, there's a reason that people do drugs is because it makes them feel good, but that's not a healthy thing to yeah. do. Um, it's a negative thing to do um, because it, in, in the end, it does not um, help your functioning in your life. But um, so, but you're feeling good. It's just not um, healthy. <laughs> it's not positive. So we were talking about self-awareness and getting to know our emotions and we have a lot going in and that actually kind of brings me back to what we were talking about yesterday. I mentioned how I like to journal and when I do so I kind of write like I'm talking to myself and so when I do that I like to write down each emotion I'm having and why I'm feeling it so that I can assess all of it like later yeah i like that i think that sounds really good (laughs) especially if you're trying to really get to know yourself being able to label the emotions and um kind of define what they mean to you it's like happy for you might be something that's happy is not the same for you and um so that could i feel like that's a very good way to um journal your emotions and work through whatever you're trying to work through i think that's really everything we had for Actually, no, I just saw something. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, what makes transition difficult? I mean, th- there's so many things that I could, like, maybe, oh, this could impede me a bit. But is there, like, one or two major things that just make flexibility and transition difficult? Well, I think transition is scary in and of itself because you're going to, your life's going to change. And maybe for the better, but maybe not. So it's kind of um, one of the, I would say one of the biggest things is that um, kind of fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, us as humans, we like to know what's going on around us, how we can control things. So not having that control, not being sure of what that's going to look like is very scary. And it can prevent people from even making any changes because you're like, oh, I have no control over the situation. I don't know what my life is going to be like. So I know what it's like right now. And you know, I'm okay right now, so what if I'm not okay with this change? Um, so that does 
prevent people from making changes. But if there's a transition forced upon you, like graduation from high school and into college, then you just need to sit back and I feel like, you know, accept that change is going to happen and then decide that, well, I can either control it or I can let someone else control it for me. So it's that positivity that the status quo is, you know, uh, something I'm liking at this moment. But, you know, we don't want to be static. We want to keep evolving, keep changing. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, you can't avoid change. Um, even if you want to stay the same, and you might for years, but things are going to change no matter what. You just accept that things are going to change. And I just have to decide how I'm going to react to it. All right. So I can either be upset or I can make as best of a thing as I can of it. So I think that what we can get from this is that as we adapt, it causes us to lose our sense of control, which it's up to us to decide what emotions we're going to utilize, if we're going to be afraid and let that take over, or if we're going to make the most out of it to help us adapt. Right, exactly. So I always kind of say, you know, um, the only thing that you can control is yourself and how you react to certain situations. So if something happens to you, you can decide to either be mad about it, which is fine if you're okay with being mad, or you can decide to be like, okay, well, I'm going to think of it this way. And um, just be aware that if you're going to be mad, it's because you've accepted that you're going to be mad. It's like looking at things positively. Because that could change the way we act. Because mm-hmm. I, I know we've talked about this a bit throughout this, uh, throughout these last 30 minutes. That our mindset, our um, belief, our positivity can affect our actions. Mm-hmm. And is that the case here as well? Oh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm a huge proponent of positive self-talk. And um, that's basically saying, um, being more, uh, saying, like, I can do this. I might not be able to do it right now, but I will be able to do this. And believing in yourself. At first, you might not really believe the positive self-talk, but the more you do it, the more natural it will become and you're going to have more of that outlook where I can do this stuff. I'm not going to be a failure. Um, It might be hard, but um, I can do it. So this actually reminds me of something that my therapist has told me before. But basically, she says that thoughts lead to feelings, which lead to actions. And so I was wondering what your personal opinion on that is. Well, I completely agree with what she had to say. (laughs) That's how I feel too. Um, We're the only ones who can um, decide how we act in a situation. I mean, of course we have our, um, there might be knee jerk reactions, but after that we're we're the only ones who can decide what we do. Nobody else can do that for us. I mean, they can make us feel a certain way, but we're the only ones who can decide how we react to it. So, um, I mean, that might sound very simplistic, but in the end, I feel like we're the only ones who can control what we do and how we feel and think. Simplicity isn't bad sometimes. Great way to put it. (laughs) Now, I think this may be our last question for you. (laughs) Now, specifically for GCC students, what are some resources for them that can help them, you know, transition to this new environment? Okay, that's a great one. Because um, we have a whole lot of um, services at JCC that maybe not everyone is really well aware of. Um, 
for one, our whole student services department, you know, the name is student services, and that's all we do is help students with their transition into college and getting them um, acclimated and all that good stuff. So um, in my particular area with counseling, we can help with um, any uh, mental health problems that might be going on. Also, we have a student assistance program that students can access for free. You get three free counseling oh, wow. sessions. There's financial and legal advice um, that you can get for free, and anyone you live with in your household can also access those um, resources. Uh, That's wonderful. So, yeah, and and I hate this, but we don't really have the capacity to have like full-time counselors, so it's hard for us to see students who just walk in. Appointments are a lot better, so. Um, but hopefully in the future, this will change. Um, uh, but so that's one thing that our area definitely can do. Um, you had brought up earlier the care team, which the care team is our crisis intervention team. And what this is, is it's for people, not just students, but anybody um, at JCC who are in a crisis situation. And mostly this means um, like suicidal ideations, um, harm to themselves, or, you know, just cannot um function on their own at that second so some more intense services need to be put in place of course if you're around someone who is having suicidal ideations or who is attempting suicide um then that's an emergency situation and not a care team situation so um i would definitely if it's on campus call campus security for more help on that but um, the care team, uh, when we get referrals, we reach out to the students um, and get them set up with resources and that extra support that they will need to be successful and also stay at JCC. Um, so, yeah. All right. Thank you so much for You're sharing welcome. these resources. I think that a lot of students are going to be helped with this. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. I agree. <laughs> 100%. Well, thank you for joining us, Small. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> thank y'all for um, reaching out. All right, it was wonderful to have both guests, Miss Megan Moeller and Miss Gail Rivera. For me personally, I love to hear how both of their topics ended up kind of intertwining together near the end. You can see how a lot of ad adaptation is about the fear of change and the need to be in control and to conquer this, we have to have a positive mindset. That's the same for me as well. I loved how Ms. Rivera talked about the importance of mindset and how we need to go into things correctly. And then I really loved how Ms. Moeller, you know, also went off on positivity, but then went a bit deeper on the goal setting and the importance of goals. Yeah, I love that topic as well when we were talking about goals. But that being said, I think it's a good point to end here. Remember to listen to our next podcast coming up, Speak Out. It's going to be a student-led podcast so that we can hear opinions from all of you at JCC. Along with that, remember to follow our JCC underscore speak Instagram account so that you can keep up with us and see what we're up to. So remember to speak up and thank you for listening.